What's up? This is episode 15 of the Getting to Ramen podcast, and I'm Joshua Anderton. This episode is a second part to the conversation I had with Matt Wensing a few weeks back. In the last one, we talked about Storm Pulse, which is Matt's first company, so definitely go check that one out. But there was just so much to dig into, we just ran out of time. So in this one, we actually talk about his current company, SimSass. I'll get into it right away. But recently, Matt tweeted a list of things that he's doing differently with his new company compared to his last one, and it kind of went viral. So we start out by talking about that. This is always tricky because um, the things that I'm going to do differently this time is not generalizable. So just because uh, it's the second time around for any folks there doesn't mean they should do the same. And and it also doesn't mean oh, hey, these were, these were all mistakes the first time, so don't do this, right? Um, some of that, but some of it is just you learn, you learn how to make better decisions. You learn what are actually the things that go into certain decisions, and you, yeah, I might actually choose to do things the same way, but maybe I'm doing it the same way now, realizing why whereas before I got lucky or so for example, co-founders is a big one. Um, it seemed to be the most polarizing topic in that thread was having co-founders. So I do not have a co-founder for, uh, for SimSass, the new company. Um, and we can talk about why I did have a co-founder for the first one and I could not have done it without him. Um, absolutely. So it, it wasn't like I, stopped having a co-founder because, uh, I, I realized it was a mistake. You know, you should always be solo or anything like that. It was more just, um, I look, you know, things change. Uh, certainly the technology has changed. What's, what's possible has changed for a solo developer, um, or even solo non-coder. Right. Uh, so I think co-founders are potentially less necessary if that's not too, uh, weaselly way of putting it where I just think you need to stop in 2019. Uh, you got to stop and ask yourself if you really need one. Whereas in 2007, it was like, of course you need one because you don't have the tools to do a whole startup by yourself, unless you're super amazing. Like there are a handful of founders like that, like Gabriel Weinberg of DuckDuckGo fame started DuckDuckGo uh, as a solo founder years ago now. Um, but you know, not his first startup, MIT, ridiculous polymath in that sense. So like, you can't, you can't just do that. But I think the tools and technology we have now have allowed me to start SimSass without needing a co-founder. And and when I do the math on that, not having to split your company in half, and I think splitting it equally is kind of the only fair way to, it's hard to come up with a fair way to do that. And let's just say that's what you do. It's the most expensive fundraise you'll ever do period. Right. Like right. Wow. hopefully yeah. you'll never give up half your business in a fundraise. Ever again. <laughs> so that's basically what you just did. And if you did that to get a co-founder, who's the kind of person that like you're, you're yoked together, if you will, you cannot pull this sled without them. Great. You know, because without them, you wouldn't go anywhere. Right. But if you did that to basically get somebody to do work and just to be like an employee, that was the worst hiring decision you'll ever make. Right. Because you, you just paid astronomical amounts for basically one person to do development for a while or sales for a while. Like those are, those are employees. Those they don't need to be founders. Right. So you got to ask yourself if you really, and I didn't need a founder in that sense this time around. Like I didn't need someone to give me the vision 
as much as I'm giving them the vision. I kind of had, I had the vision. It was self-contained. I share it with people and get ideas and I iterate, but like, I don't need to make people co-founders just to talk about <laughs> what, what I'm working on and get them to give me feedback. Like, again, I don't have to, that was like the hottest topic on that thread was, yeah. What, what are you saying? Right. Right. Just want to clear that up for folks. I think the other dynamic is the mental part of having somebody that's working on it with you mm -hmm. and, um, somebody that's working on it when you're not working on it. So for you, what has changed so that you don't need that? Is that, or, or did you need that the first time either? Um, that's a good point. I, I think the last time around I was entering such a dark territory on the map, you know, that I needed somebody to also shine a flashlight out in front of us and like, Hey, let's, get, let's just scout this whole landscape called startups. Like you're going to go to this conference. You're going to talk to this guy. You're going to do the, I sped up by a factor of two, the amount I was learning and how fat, how long it took to learn it about just starting up in general you know? And so there was a lot of investor meetings I went to because of my co-founder. There's a lot of, you know, new technologies that, you know, I started using because of my co-founder that I would not have used if it was just me learning about how do you start a company? Um, especially when there was no tools out there. So I think, um, that was big. I think this time around, first of all, the world has changed. Like if I say, what does it take to start a company to you? it's so much easier now to say, well, I can get Heroku, AWS or Azure or whatever it is, pick your cloud, pick your kind of company you're going to start as an LLC, C Corp, S Corp, whatever. Right. Um, if you want to do one of those, you can actually pay $500 to Stripe now to get incorporated in 72 hours, which is what I did with the new one. The industry has actually begun to productize startups themselves. So you can now kind of go to the startup store, and buy the, buy the parts you need to start a startup. Right. <laughs> Whereas you could not do that before we were all just handcrafting startups. So that, I think that that burden went away. Like I, I didn't need that other person discovering what the heck this was all about. And then the other part was in the technical side, I'm a full stack developer. Um, but I made the choice to use Heroku and to, to get what Heroku does for me. I needed a CTO the last time around Right. for 500 bucks a month. I get, the equivalent of an entire engineer 10 years ago um, that I would have to give half the company and half salary to. So, uh, yeah. So at that point you're just left with sales and other stuff that I happen to know. And now I will say this one thing I chose to do again is raise money. Uh, that was through tiny seed. We could talk about the reasons behind that, but I mean, that was a good decision again, just because the stress of going it alone. Um, actually I'll say this. I didn't raise money for the first three years the last time. So this time around I raised money, within six months of testing the idea because I learned that truly bootstrapping, meaning taking no dollars whatsoever from any outside source, it is, this is going to sound funny. It's kind of a luxury that you have. Maybe if you're in a certain situation in your life, you don't have to support anyone, but most of us have this constant burden of making ends meet and to not even have to worry about my own personal uh, bank account, if you will, take somebody else's money and use that to start this thing. Like that was a no brainer. Um, and to find it through tiny seed because they are so lifestyle bootstrapper, if you will, friendly, uh, that that sealed the deal for me. Cause then it was like, okay, I can, I can get the money, but I don't have to give up the option to grow this thing, 
however I want to. Right. Um, but then how, how do you like, like mentally when there's, you know, there's days where it, it where, and, and I know that from listening to the podcast, it's, it sounds like, uh, you've just released goals and you're in a really good spot right now. And there's some momentum sure. there. But before that, you mentioned that there was kind of a period of like, where's this going to go? What's going on? Like in those yeah. times as a solo founder, how have you, how, how have you kind of managed that? Yeah. Um, I mean, I have, I have a support network and, you know, I think that a co-founder can be an anchor point in your support network. Um, but even if you don't have one, you still need a support network. And, you know, for me, that's family, friends, extended family, and then the tiny seed group that I know. And don't get me wrong. Like I'm not solo, solo by any stretch. Like I, I, I am very quick to share the highs and lows with people that are close to me. Um, and I kind of look for some kind of immediate feedback that keeps me going. <laughs> and so, you know, having, I have an incredible, uh, wife and family and, you know, folks that are willing to tolerate this roller coaster. And, and, and then also I learned techniques the first time around, around just how do you manage your mental state? Um, how do you, uh, visualize where you're going to be in a bad scenario? How do you not let yourself believe that the good scenario is the one that's going to happen? You got to live in two worlds at the same time. When you think something exciting might happen, you cannot let yourself start living in that world, which means you cannot start predicating other decisions on that outcome. You have to hold back. Right. So don't go dreaming about the new, whatever. Don't go thinking you're going to move. Don't go planning the next, whatever, higher vacation lifestyle, whatever, because if you make those decisions, you're locked in now in a bad state. But even if you let yourself fantasize, you've started the journey of like, okay, now I'm going to be disappointed. Right. And you know, having hopes and dreams keeps you going, but like, you got to know where that line is in your psychology of I am just entertaining the thought because it keeps me excited and, and motivated. And, Oh, now like I'm in a despair if this doesn't happen. Right. And I mean, that took 10 years to, to, to develop the version of that I have now. And I've, I've got to upgrade it, uh, every month or so. so. <laughs> right. So is that like an exercise that you do, or is it just a mindset that you have now from experience? It's not an exercise in any kind of um, routine sense. It's a, when I start daydreaming, regardless of where I'm at or what I'm doing, I, so let's say put a concrete example, like, Hey, this, this person's going to become a customer, just the littlest thing. This person become a customer. I let myself go down that path for a while, but the thing I've, the thing you have to learn is like, you can't stop that. And it's kind of like meditation. Like they tell you, don't try to not let your mind drift. Cause if you fight it, <laughs> you actually make it worse. So you, I don't personally at least fight the thinking about it. But what I try to do always is just come back to the present, come back to reality and say like, okay, that was fun. But right now that's not true. So let's go back to the world where that's not true. And let's assume it's not going to happen and let's do things assuming it doesn't happen so that it can be upside. Right. Um, it's the coming back part that I like the recentering that I have that, that you have to learn or that I had to learn. Um, cause you know, it's, it's always fun to daydream, <laughs> but you just, 
you, 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 but you got to come back to the, you know, well, what's the actual plan if that doesn't happen? So that's what's right. taking time to learn. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, and I think this, like, this excites me because I feel like this is, these are insights that you, you have gained from experience. And I think that, uh, and there's just something to say about like this is your second time around. Storm Pulse was this cr- crazy experience, you know, yeah. jumping markets and industries and and pricing models and so yeah. uh, and 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 I'm finding that like like David Cancel from Drift, this is like his third company where he has like over a hundred <laughs> employees. It's like yeah. like when he says something, yeah. you know, it's 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 it's. It's different than somebody who yeah. may have this massive software company, but this is their yeah. first time, and and it's like you, you start to learn. We're all pretty ambitious and passionate, stubborn people. We're all like strong reality distortion field kind of folks. I think to start companies, <laughs> and so right, it, it's very hard to. I actually kind of hate it in, in a sense of like, there's got to be a better way than learning by experience because that would be better because then you don't have to make the mistakes or something. And also you can't just, you can't take the wrong lessons away. Like this is the danger. The danger too, is that I think second time founders also make big mistakes when they forget how important product is, or they forget how important adoption is. It's like, I had success. I got, I got, I created the product that everybody loved. Uh, I did that through this like hard labor of iterating with people. Uh, and then I launched it. It was successful. I got some funding, but let's say it was this great success story. The second time around, it's really easy to believe that you can now leverage your experience, your history to basically, um, spend money on or, uh, do away with some of those needs where it's like, well, this, you know, like I'm successful. Therefore people will use my product because I created it. And like the brand of Matt or the brand of, right. Like you start to believe that that's, and like the world doesn't care as much as you think like they will lie to you. And this is the whole mom test thing, right? Right. Like the whole mom test thing that's been going around is basically, especially founders who have some reputation and credibility. It's very easy to develop a fan, a mini fan base that will, um, with the best intentions, give you a bad signal on the next thing. And I think that's why, you know, you got to remember that like your, your success in the past and your experience does not buy you a free ticket on any dimension. The second time around, it does give you credibility, but you know, the people who truly do it multiple times in a successful way, like that is, um, that's not, they remember that they have to do it all. Right. So I, I'm still like in this situation going, okay, still need a product that people love. And I need to measure that by usage, not by the fact that they tell me how cool it is or that they're excited. Right. Okay. Well, uh, when I'll take your word for it, cause, I said, cause I, <laughs> I'm certainly not there yet. Um, so, so tell me what SimSAS is then? So it, uh, it is a place for founders and startup teams to set goals and get instant feedback on reaching those goals, uh, through a forecasting engine that I created. Um, it's part statistics, part simulation, but imagine you have a metrics tool, uh, you go to your metrics tool and you, um, you know, you set uh, a goal and it has your historical metrics, that's great. But like, how do you know if that goal is realistic? How do you know if it's achievable? Well, the nice thing about SimSAS is you can put in that goal 
and it will instantaneously tell you based on a forecast that it generates. And it takes about a minute to generate a forecast um, that if you just keep operating your business the way you are, you're going to fill up 83% of that goal, right? Like that suddenly tells you like, Oh, that I thought that goal was a gimme. Like I, I didn't realize that. So it's a place where you can go and because of this technology, know if that goal is reachable. And this is the kind of thing that a chief financial officer can do at a big company, but it's not something that's been productized yet for all of us. So that's my goal here is to take the best of a chief financial officer for a big company, you know, somebody that can strategically look at the numbers and spend all day on them and make that something that a founder like you and me can use in a couple minutes and for, you know, for free actually, or a fraction of the price. Uh, was it at storm pulse that you were needing this type of a tool and this, that was initially when you kind of came up with yeah, the idea I mean, I, 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 Storm pulse was a SaaS business and I needed to create forecasts, um, for a couple of reasons. One was for investors to raise the initial rounds of funding, um, which was always painful. I hated getting on calls and having them point at like, Hey, why does column D row 31 say $1,253, you know? And you're like, really? Like I gave you this whole pitch, you know, whatever. And like, you're focused on this one cell in a spreadsheet. Like there's just so much wrong about that. And then on the, on the other side, operating the business as a salesperson, uh, I was the CEO, but I was, which meant I was effectively the revenue officer. I was the lead salesperson. I was responsible to my team for predicting the future when it came to our revenue numbers. <laughs> and that's really hard. And I, I use tools, you know, I use Salesforce, I use HubSpot, I used um, other, you know, CRM tools that we tried out and forecasting is hard for sales. And then it's one thing to forecast your pipeline. Like those are deals you're working on right now today. Like you know about them. It's even harder to forecast where you're going to be in six months, 12 months, 18 months. So, but that's usually how far out you need to look when you're talking about fundraising or taking out a loan or, you know, getting capital into the business, you got to look out farther than 30, 60, 90 days. So I always had to deal with this and I never had a tool that was better than Excel. Um, right. And I realized at some point that this should be a product. So I, I started building it. And okay. So now how did you validate it? Yeah. First thing I did is I said, who do I know that knows the most about sales at startups than anyone who knows the most. And the name that came to mind was our friend Steli. FD of close. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, storm pulse was actually one of the first customers of Steli's company when they were called elastic sales. So I actually got to use their sales team and I was like, these guys are good at sales. They're good at forecasting. And by the way, Steli's going around the world telling everybody about how to do SaaS sales. So I should ask him if there's any tool like this in the market already, he's going to know. So I shot him an email and then he uh, sent it on to his um, director of, of growth or director of revenue, uh, Nick, um, um, uh, Persico. And he, he responded within a, you know, a day or two or something and basically said, yes, like this does not exist. This should exist. I wish this existed. And I was like, okay, <laughs> like if they don't know about anything like this and they wish it existed and they're talking to hundreds, if not thousands of founders and startups all the time about this very thing. Like if they need it, then you can basically draw a line and say 80 to 90 or hundred percent of everybody that's less successful than them <laughs> doesn't have it and also needs it. Right. 
and somewhere around them or above them, maybe they don't, but like that gave me a big market. Like I was like, yeah. okay, that's thousands of companies that fit that description. Now that was only one. I ended up talking to more and more and more. So maybe, you know, 10, 20 companies and just kind of okay. reaffirming that. But like, I got to work on the next version as soon as I got that response <laughs> from them. But basically said like, okay, let me build a prototype, you know, and, uh, I showed them the prototype and they liked what they saw. There's like, yes, this is the right direction. It's not quite there yet, but in here somewhere is the tool we're looking for. Um, so that's, that's how I did it. How did you, how did you find those initial 10 or 20 companies where you already connected with them and they were in your network? I spoke at business of software a year ago. Okay. Um, I did a lightning talk and at that lightning talk, I didn't mention that I was working on a product or that I had anything concrete, but I wanted to, I wanted to basically take that same test of like, is this interesting? What are people going to say? And kind of broaden it out. And in my lightning talk, I talked about forecasting and how much of a pain it is and how difficult it is. And I had a number of founders come up afterwards and say like, you're totally right. That is a pain. Are you working on like, is that a thing? Is that going to be a thing? I was like, well, it might be a thing. And I got my next two, uh, two or three shortly thereafter folks trying it out, using it. And, uh, she's the CEO of a company in Austin. And, uh, she, within like a month of having access to like a total alpha version, she was like showing it to her board during investor meetings and saying like, this is our forecast for the next, you know, three to six months. And she came back. I didn't know she was doing that, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> she, she didn't tell me she was doing that. But when she came back and told me like, I showed this to my board and I looked super smart and I felt confident. Ah. And suddenly I wasn't justifying D31. I was pointing to a forecast that was sensible, intelligent, whatever. And like, we had this conversation about, well, what do you need to hit that number? And what do you need? It was a game changer, like completely changed the way I present forecast to my board. I was like, okay. <laughs> like, all right. Oh yeah. That, that was like, okay, if that is a value that it's hard to put a price on, but that became the next challenge is like, okay, what is it worth to her? What is it worth to them? to be able to do this. And what got me really excited was there was an emotional value, yeah. not just a time savings. It was like, I suppose I could do this myself, but like you gave me a pretty big boost in terms of whatever the word you want to use, credibility, morale, uh, enthusiasm, whatever it was like in front of people that uh, are depending on me, right. To deliver, intelligent forecasts. Um, once I had that, I was like, okay, this is definitely a product. It needs to exist. I got to get working. So that's when I started, um, that's when I started blogging a lot about forecasting and the alt VC space and building the product out. And that's how I met, uh, Rob Walling and Einar Volset of tiny seed. Um, and basically went to them with, Hey, I've got one customer right now. Um, there was a third person I met, got one customer right now. I've got this prototype. I've got all this enthusiastic feedback and, uh, that was enough for them to make an investment decision, fortunately. <laughs> so you did kind of look at the landscape and look at the other, um, the other bootstrap funding options. What, what kind of stuck out to you as the, the main reason to go with, with tiny seed? Yeah. Um, good question. So 
It's very simple. It's a very simple term set of terms. Um, I ended up coding all of the terms for NDVC, TinySeed, Earnest Capital, and about three others into SimSats. So you can actually simulate a round of investment for many of oh, these. Wow. Yeah. And that's in the free products if anybody wants to check it out. Yeah, yeah. I'll be doing that right after this. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah. You, you have access. You can try it. So I had to learn the term sheets in and out because I was basically writing code to implement their terms. And um, if you just want to strip it down to bare parts, uh, the fewest lines of code to me is kind of a good smell test. Like if if it's only one line of code or two lines of code or whatever it is, relatively speaking, if you have to write a hundred lines of code to implement a term sheet, it's too complicated, right? Like basically what you're saying is like to use like my life with these terms is going to be either simple or complicated. Right. And, uh, now some of the more complicated than others, it's not a complete proxy to like what's better, but just thinking about it from one standpoint of like simple is good. You know, when you design things, we all kind of believe that simple is better. And I knew that simplicity was a virtue and I like the simplicity of it. That was one. Um, number two, I, uh, they reached out to me and we just started a conversation and I enjoyed talking to them. They seemed like cool guys. Um, so that certainly helped. And then the, the last piece was I knew that I wasn't sure what the future looked like. And as I looked at Indy and Ernest, there are things in there around a minimum payback Right. And, okay. you know, yeah. so here's the thing about, um, spark Toro ran Fishkin's terms, uh, which are very similar to tiny seeds. I like the element of, uh, volition or will discretion on the part of the entrepreneur where I can decide to pay myself a dividend. If I do that and it's and my total discretion, then this happens. Right. It's just a little easier to model in my mind than, well, Okay, I've got to do a rev. I've got to do a rev share based on income and receipts with Indy. That might be good. Plus, I just felt like I was too early for Indy. I went to Bryce's Roadshow and I was like, "Cool." I think they're moving down market a little bit, but I was like, "I'm pre-revenue." Indy's all about profitable companies. Maybe, maybe the next time, you know. Um, but I just felt too early. And uh, and also, you know, the last point, and I think this is actually the most important one, so I probably shouldn't save it to the end. Uh, you know, Rob and I are. Um, through the process, they made me an offer. And like, when you get an offer, you take it right. Like generally speaking, I not a big believer in optimizing on good fortune. <laughs> like when good fortune shows up, you know, you check for gotchas, but you generally, I, I'm not a, I'm not the kind of person to actually go like, Oh, let me look at the numbers and figure out if this is you know, like best for me, I generally like, is this fair? Does it feel fair? Let's rock and roll, you know, because I, <laughs> I, I want to get on to the next thing. And I know from experience that fundraising can be very long and painful and you usually get a no. Um, and I knew that if I was getting offered funding from someone and it let me just get going immediately, I'd be kind of, I, I thought I figured I would be a fool to not, not take it. Right. Um, so that's, that's what I did. And, and so how does, uh, how does tiny seeds term, how did, how do they kind of work then? Cause I know Ernest, um, as soon as you start taking money from the company, you start paying back a percentage of that to them until I guess it's five X. 
Yeah, there's actually not quite invested. it's actually not quite that simple. So it's um they have they have a special term called founder earnings, which um which they define. And uh I encourage folks to go look up the definition. But founder earnings isn't necessarily every dollar you take out of the business. It's money you take after the business after you subtract other things, right? So operating costs, for example. So it's um it's its own uh, financial term, if you will, which is part of the reason it, it can be hard to maybe imagine what that's like, but they've got examples. You can go look those up. And I, I've done my best to code those into the product that I have as well. Um, and I'll, I'll always open, I, you know, I'm talking, talk to Ernest and Indy and tiny seed and anybody else about, Hey, can I do a better job of, you know, representing your terms in this tool? Because I just want it to be I don't have a dog in the fight. I just want it to be accurate as much as possible. Um, so that's the thing. So, so that's there's I, I, on the tiny seed uh, piece. They do a salary cap, which is they look at what what is a fair and reasonable um, market salary for you for a developer. Let's even say a senior developer in your area, right? So, like they they don't want you to ever feel like you're really underpaid for your work. Right. Now it doesn't mean you're going to get like what you'd make if you went to Google or Facebook or something like that. I think there'd be exceptions maybe here in San Francisco, who knows. But the point is like, if you're typical Midwest, uh, uh, guy or gal, or like myself here in Austin, you know, I don't have to worry about my salary given the funds. What I, what I need to do is if the business becomes profitable and I choose to pay myself more money, you pay yourself a percentage, you pay them, whatever percentage of the business they own. So if they own 15% and you pay yourself a hundred thousand dollar dividend, you write them a check for 15,000, you write yourself a check for 85,000 and that's it right now. If the business suddenly does like a million in profit, you are going to be writing them as long as this term survives, you are going to be writing them checks of, you know, $150,000. But the way I looked at it was I'm writing myself a check for $850,000, just not the kind of person <laughs> you know, who's going to sweat that, right? And dividends are not unusual in the world of business and having a part. So you really need to think of them as a partner in your business um, in order for that to be worth it. And they have to also step up and deliver like a partner would, because if they just give you the money and it's like, cool, you owe us dividends for life after we gave you this one-time fund, like that wouldn't be fair, right? But I, I expect given their, given Einer's experience with Y Combinator and also their marketing and also how they've been throughout the program that they are going to be, you know, partners for the life of the company, in which case I feel okay about giving them their, you know, X percent dividends. Right. And if I go raise a bunch of money, that percent gets smaller by the way, because they're going to own less proportionally. So if I go raise $5 million at some point, cause I think it's going to be a unicorn. I don't plan on it, but if I did that, you know, it would be a different world. And I think, um, I would also be okay with that world. So that's how that works. Uh, the investment amount, is that also just a part of the terms? Like it's just kind of different for everyone or is it a year's runway? It's, it is a part of the terms and it's pretty consistent for everyone. I mean, within, okay. within a, a very nominal amount. Um, so anywhere, anywhere in that 120 to 140,000 ish range plus or minus. And, and it does work out coincidentally to about a year's salary for most developers in most places, but you know, they're not, kind of saying, well, that's a year's salary. So here's that amount of money. It's more like, here's this amount of money for this thing. And um, some of the businesses that are in it actually are uh, profitable. 
some of them are close to break even. Um, some of them have, you know, multiple employees. So, uh, not everybody uses that money just to sort of pay the right. rent for, for a year. Right. I think myself and Peter assume is also on the out of beta podcast. We are, we're actually, I wouldn't say exceptions, but we're in the minority in terms of startups okay. that they funded. Yeah. Um, most of them are over a couple thousand a month in revenue and, uh, able to pay themselves something. Um, and in some cases able to hire a whole team. The other benefit that I see is, uh, the, the mentorship and like, they're working with you. Like that part seems almost more valuable with the experience that Rob has. And what has that been like for you? Uh, that has been like having a co-founder on demand, if you will. <laughs> so, like you, you get to those moments where you really need that one hour at the whiteboard. And even though we're distributed, you know, a 30 minute call with Einer, a 30 minute call with Rob or a mentor call, um, with Heaton Shaw, like wow, yeah. that can trigger thoughts. <laughs> and it's, it's not a non-interactive thing either. It's like, put in your questions. This person's going to be here. And you're just on a zoom call just like this with six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 other people, you know, and there's Rand Fishkin fielding questions. So I asked Rand like two weeks ago, I was like, Rand, who's your next hire going to be and why? Right. Like I want to, I want to. I'm thinking about that with my own business. Like, who should my next hire be? And he's like, oh, well, this, this, this. Was that helpful? I'm like, yeah, that answered the question. Great, you know. Or, hey, Heaton, like, like, what do you think about pay as you go as a freemium model? He's like, well, pay as you go isn't as good as metered billing, and here's why. I think metered billing is better. And like, did I answer your question? So it's, it's literally like having a fireside chat with just super experienced founders, um, and every other week, you know, <laughs> having that. Um, that's great. And then, and then Rob freely just puts in the thing like, Hey, my calendar's open. If you need half hour, hour to talk about anything here, here's, here's my calendar. So like, they're all in, I think this is the better way of saying it. And, um, that's, I, I have used that as kind of a surgical strike on issues that I'm facing, not as like a, Hey, carry this load up the hill with me. It's more like, Hey, I got to figure out pricing for SimSAS for like, a business that looks like this. Go. <laughs> right. And then we'll just spend 45 minutes talking it through. And, and, you know, unlike, unlike a tweet or a book or something, you get to start with the problem and you get to work all the way to some feeling of resolution, or you get to say like, Hey, didn't quite get through it. Let's pick right up here next week, you know? And like, that's, I mean, it's better than reading a blog post, right? <laughs> oh yeah. So where is yeah. SimSAS at right now? Do you have uh, a lot of paying customers? Is it mainly free right now and kind of still like early access? Or? I am 1% to my goal. I'm a big believer in goals. So I'm, I have a goal of a hundred subscribers, a uh, hundred subscribers at $200 a month is the goal. Um, I am 1% of the way there, which simple math tells you is one customer at that level. Um, I have some other folks that bought early, but it's more like early, early sales where the pricing was like TBD and not really figured out right. yet. And actually the version, what they got wasn't the same, but I have like my one shiny example of they're happy. They're getting the products. It's working. I need to now go do that oh, 99 more times. Um, and that's where I'm at today on the monetization side what I just pushed out last night was the, um, V one of the free product, whose real whole purpose is, and you're using it. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yep. and the whole purpose of the free, the, the whole purpose of the free version is to say, look, 
founders that are not at the growing stage, the free version is for them. But if you're at the growth stage where you're trying to hire the right person, you're trying to, um, where your default is alive, not dead. Now you've got to come up with goals that inspire your team goals that you can defend to investors goals that you can, that you, that matter to you. And actually as an example of this, um, and, and this is not because he's using the product right now, but, um, Ben Ornstein, right. Uh, good old Rook <laughs> on Twitter, uh, with tuple, like I, I remember talking to Ben a couple months ago or at microconf and it was like, Hey, do you have any goals? He's like, ah, our goal right now is just to grow a little bit each week and, you know, not run out of, out of runway or whatever it was like they were, they're bootstrapped. So it was like grow a little bit each week. Um, mm -hmm. and do a little bit better every week. I don't know if you saw his tweet earlier this week, but if you listen to their podcast, our product, like they're doing well now, right? Tuple's doing well. Suddenly it's growing. And he tweeted out this week, like, Hey, we just had this retreat. And for Q4 of this year, we're going to try goals. We're going to try having objectives and key results and like tracking them. And so you see like that shift in mindset of suddenly human beings are not content. As soon as you go from like, Oh my gosh, I might die next month <laughs> to I'm not going to die. But like, now what's my purpose? That is the line for SimSAS between free and paid. So I want, I want to get people who have that what's next mentality of striving higher. That's the paid version. And folks who are just like, how do I fix my business model? How do I get out of the woods? Or how do I try this? That's the free. And so the free version V1 just came out this morning. Um, a version that I feel comfortable sharing with the general public. And then the paid version will come out similarly, probably in the next 30 days as I finish, I put the finishing touches on it. So by November, let's say Thanksgiving, people will be able to sign up for the free and upgrade an app. Um, and I'm just going to try to get 99 more. <laughs> yeah. And I, I love that. Um, I love that pricing model. Like it's such a clear kind of graduation to the paid version. Sometimes it's really hard to kind of like figure out what that, that value metric is, um, with a tool. And, mm -hmm. uh, whereas there's a very clear, uh, difference in the way that I will use the product as a solo founder, just trying to stay alive yeah. with compared yeah, yeah. to a company that has a few employees. And it's like, it's just a totally different game. And I, like, I just yeah. wouldn't use those, those features. So having them available right. to me isn't helpful anyways, but all of a sudden it's going to become valuable. Yeah. And, and you're going to feel like at that point, it's totally fair. Like you're going to feel at that point right. that it's a steal, right? It's not a tax. And by the way, you can actually keep using the free version at that point. Like you don't have to, but my bet is I will create features that when you get to that point, when your mindset shifts, the features that are there, you're going to suddenly look at them and say, Oh, yeah, that would be great. Whereas, like you said, even if I gave those to you today, you either A, wouldn't use them, or B, if you did, you wouldn't really appreciate them. And so it'd just be kind of a wasted, you know, wasted engagement, right? And that's not, you know, a waste of your time. So, um, and that's the key. And I, I, I really, I'm glad to adopt that segmentation because I did not want to say, Hey, if you make this amount of money, it's this price. And if you make this, I think people use revenue as a, as a way of like, as a proxy to like, Hey, you're a bigger company, therefore you should pay me more money. But I think that can come across. If you're not careful, that can come across really 
really wrong. Like it is kind of the, Hey, congratulations. You're now, you know, in that new stage and, Oh, you got to pay me more money now. It's like, it's a tax on your success. Right. So then do you have plans for expansion revenue as well? I will admit I do not yet have a auto expansion revenue uh, element. The way I'm thinking about the business in the big, big picture. So this is all to me, just the initial feedback loop of founders using the product. Um, my goal for expansion is expansion revenue. Yes. And I think I will come up with some ways to do that. Maybe ultimately it will be seat based. I'm not sure. Um, depends on how people adopt it. Right. But I believe I can build a business that is, you know, I, I believe I can build a seven or eight figure business just on what we're talking about right now. And I believe if I do that, I will have a lot of opportunities to build other ways of monetizing. So to give you an idea, um, Capital funding is also a need that you're going to have eventually. Um, if you have been using the tool, uh, I believe that I could help you find that money at a price and a speed that's unparalleled. So the idea would be, yes, you're recruiting the engineer to join you and you're going to use the tool to help him. But you, you know what you've also done is you've also built a two-year history of apparently a company that like executes and performs. Uh, that's probably a company that's worth investing in. That's probably a company that could handle a loan. That's probably a company that could handle a, a corporate card from Brex, right? So there's all kinds of uh, financial tools that could be offered to you, um, even if you don't upgrade. And I think those could actually be a lot more valuable to SimSaaS as a business than the, than the subscriptions, although the subscriptions are nice, don't get me wrong. Um, those are kind of some of the long-term ideas. And I just want to mention it for listeners so that it can kind of get in their minds of like, oh, I'm not just trying to solve a forecasting problem. I'm trying to solve your, how do you get to the next checkpoint in the race of starting up? You know, you're going to visualize the checkpoint. I'm going to tell you that you can hit that checkpoint. When you get there, what happens next? And how do I help you get to the next one? Right? So that's what I want SimSAS to be this companion for you that tells you what the next milestone is. You know, you can hit it. You got a plan to go hit it. And when you do hit it, something happens to set you up for the next milestone that to me would be this, that's the vision, right? Like I, I, I would love to do that. Cause then I, then I can help a thousand startups <laughs> yeah. instead of, you know, five or something. Um, yeah, that's my dream. Awesome. That's, that's exciting. Okay. So where, what are some places that people can, can go to, to follow along? Yeah. Um, I tweet way too much. So you can find <laughs> me on, if I'm on Twitter at Matt Wensing, um, and you can also find me on medium. I do blog and I, I tend to do long form blog posts about all these topics. So you can find me on medium at Matt Wensing as well. Um, and, uh, simsas.co is the, uh, website for the product. And, uh, of course, um, anybody that you know, that's interested in uh, tiny seed or these kinds of things, happy to talk. D my DMS are open on Twitter and I will plug the fact that tiny seed does have a open, um, right now, uh, November 1st, I believe they're opening up applications again. So if you are interested in raising money from tiny seed, uh, I would love to onboard you to SimSAS and actually help you use a SimSAS dashboard to forecast to present to Robin Einer. That would be fun. Um, but I'm also happy to just give you advice and, you know, help you think through your decisions. So. Thank you so much, Matt. I really appreciate the time. And, yeah. Thank uh, you. All right, man. Cool. Take care.